As you turn to uh, James chapter 4 in your Bible, I invite you to join me there. We want to look this morning uh, at what he says about when we make relational messes. Before we actually look at that text, I want you to look at this picture here. Not that picture. Maybe somebody can give me a picture here. Yeah. Maybe I'll need to descri- describe the picture. The, the, the picture is a scene. Tell me if you'll laugh or something when it comes up behind me. The, the scene is on the coast of a, after the aftermath of a hurricane. You've seen them all. As Flirtians, I just wanted to remind us of those scenes. We've all watched them. Hey, there we go. We've seen those. When you see that, maybe you've experienced it, what do you feel? Yeah, I feel sadness for those folks. You ever wonder, how will they ever recover? I think when we see devastation like that, and we all know the source, the source of of that in Florida is always a a hurricane. But you, you look at that and you go, how do you recover from such devastation. But I wanted to put that picture in front of you for this reason. What's harder to see, but equally devastating, is the relational wreck that we often make of our homes. Some of you grew up in homes that looked put together, but you knew uh, on the inside they looked like that, right? It's kind of a picture of kind of our communities, not physically, but relationally, where some homes are standing and some homes are just absolutely wrecked. It's kind of a picture, honestly, of, of churches across the world. Some are standing and they're whole relationally, and some from the outside, the, the structure stands, but relationally, they're absolutely a wreck. It's a picture of marriages. You get the picture of what I'm saying? There is something that we see physically that is equally true relationally. It's just harder to capture with the camera. And James is simply going to tell us what's the relational hurricane that causes this relational mess. And thankfully, he's going to show us what's the solution So that your home, your marriage, your family, this church doesn't look like that. First, though, he's going to tell us what's the the equivalent to the relational hurricane. In other words, what causes relational messes? Now join me in the text. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. Now, he doesn't mean the members versus the non-members here. When he says the, the desires, the pleasures that wage war in your members, he's talking about your individual body, and there's a war going on within the individual believer. The pleasures... Our desires are waging war against the Spirit of God within us. 
That's what the scripture says. Within us, there is a battle. So the source of our messes, even though the spirit of God is within us, the source of our messes is our sinful desires. That's what creates the wreckage, our sinful desires. And in case that's too vague for you, he gives four examples in the next two verses of our sinful desires that create wreckage. He says, first, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder, kind of the ultimate relational wreck. And there's, we all know, examples of where lust and not just sexual lust, but lust, wanting what I cannot have, what does not belong to me, resulting in murder. It's in the scripture, obviously. David lusted after Bathsheba and committed murder against his, her husband, Uriah. But it happens all the time. You lust, don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures to feed the very pleasures that are causing the wreckage. So he gives four quick examples. Our sinful desires that create wreckage are lust. And again, Obviously, uh, we live in a sexually saturated world, and sexual lust has brought about incredible wreckage to homes and marriages. But lust is broader than that. Where there's lust, where there's desire to have what God has not given me, I'm going to create a mess. Where there's envy, it's not that I just don't have it, it's that you have it, and I'm envious of you. And so envy creates wreckage, self-reliance. When he says, you do not have because you do not ask, he's going, that's just the pride (laughs) that won't allow you to ask for help. There are so many who are an ask away from genuine help, but refuse to ask. I still can envision in my mind, it was when we had a center aisle here in the South Auditorium. A couple comes up to me after the service. They were new to church. I'm getting to know them. They're telling me a little bit about themselves. And and the... The husband classic, happy Father's Day, guys. Uh, the husband classic is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're good. We, we got this going on. and yeah, we're, Everything's great. And, and the husband finally, I mean, the wife finally interrupts him and says, our marriage is a wreck. We need help. <laughs> and he was like, well, uh, well, yeah, maybe a little bit. We, you know, we're not perfect. See, I don't know what's going on in your, your house is standing. I don't know what's going on inside of it. But sometimes we really need help and our pride won't allow us to ask. And so the wreckage just continues. 
self-reliance. And then, of course, there's just good old self-love. <laughs> I just want what I want. And nothing gets better because selfishness never makes anything better. <laughs> now, now, this isn't rocket science. Every single person in here, because you're engaged in a relationship, you can see how lust, envy, self-reliance, pride, self-love create messes in your life. And sometimes the messes are bigger than other messes. Sometimes the house is just kind of half knocked down. Sometimes it's rocked to the foundation. But it's this stuff that makes the mess. But he doesn't just stop here. Now, if you're feeling like heavy, wow, good news, solution's coming. But we actually have to go deeper into the wreckage. Where do these desires flow from? Look at verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Quote, here's the scripture he's saying, do you think this doesn't mean anything? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So he is saying that our sinful desires are an overflow of a heart issue of adultery with the world. Now that's, this is a, a picture that I think seems at first extreme, but helps communicate why this creates such wreckage. Because as we enter into this, Everybody can easily understand how bad adultery wrecks a marriage. Not necessarily irrecoverable. Praise the Lord. I know lots of folks where adultery wrecked and there was reconciliation and there was a rebuilding. But it was a wreck at first. And he's going, that's what's happening here. It's not physical, human-to-human -human adultery. It's spiritual adultery. And his point is simply this, that when he says he jealousy, jealously desires the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, he's going, when you place faith, when you and I, as we just heard testimony, if you have a testimony like that, that you placed faith in Jesus, what happened is you went from separated to God to one with God. In the picture of marriage, two became one. You, in, you became the bride of Christ, married to him. And as a result, what did he do? He poured his spirit into you. So you are one with God, but you love the world. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, that, uh, that's a little too vague. Here's, here's as blatant as I know how to say it to you. He's calling it adultery because we were once married, if you will, to the world. Married to the lies of the world, the sin of the world, the, the lust of the flesh, we were married to that. When we placed faith in Christ, we became married to him. 
And he's going, the source, even though you're married to Christ, the source of your conflicts, why your house is a wreck, why it's shaken to the foundation is because though you're married to Christ, you're having an affair with your ex. And that always wrecks the relationship. Does that make sense? You're having an affair with your ex, who you used to be married to. Now, what's strange is uh, so many of you would go, I would never do that to my physical spouse. But all of us who have been married to Christ have done it to our spiritual one. You see, maybe this, again, this is an extreme, but where there's lust, where there's envy, where there's self-reliance, where there's self-love, where there's pride and selfishness, in the life of a believer, at core, I'm having an affair with my ex. That's why he says, you adulteresses. You reckon the relationships by that affair you're having. And that affair is, he says, hostility toward God, which is exactly what everyone who's been cheated on feels. So you feel the weight of it, and that's intentional. The weight of how we wreck our marriage, wreck our home, is because of right here, an affair with my ex, the world. I want to live and love the things that I used to love before I became married to Christ. And he's jealous, rightfully jealous, because we're one with him. He's poured his spirit into our hearts. We're cheating on him. Now you may go, how could there ever be a solution to that? Because there's many who go, when there's adultery, there's no solution to that. That trust has been broken. That relationship is done. It is, it's not a house half, half destroyed. It is a house knocked down. What's the solution? Well, praise the Lord for the next verse. Praise the Lord for verse 6. What's the first word, at least the New American Standard? Didn't check every, but, but he gives a greater grace. (laughs) This is when, even though this is not the church we tend to function as, this is when you say, hallelujah, (laughs) right? But he he gives a greater grace to who? Adulterers. He gives a greater grace to cheaters. He gives a greater. Now, does he give grace? Yeah, track this. This is not an accidental all. He gives a greater grace. No, he has given grace. It was grace that we went from here to here, right? It was grace that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. It was grace that took us from enemies of God to friends with God. It was grace that made us the bride of Christ. 
What is it that restores us once we have been made one with him and we've committed adultery? What is it that restores? Greater grace. See, you understand? Who, uh, I know I ask this a lot and there's just some who are comfortable raising their hands in church and others are like, I don't respond to rhetorical questions. <laughs> but who needs greater grace? You adulterers. Yeah, no, see, no, me. I need greater grace, greater, greater, greater grace, greater, greater, greater grace. Because I've been an adulterer a hundred times over. But he gives a greater grace. But that's all, not all that verse six says. Oh, sorry, you gotta fill in your bank. The grace of God is greater. I think I made that clear, but the grace of God is greater. Should have underlined it, bold, capital, exclamation point times three. The grace of God is greater. That deserves some emojis. Grace of God is greater. That's the solution to our mess. But what's, how does verse six continue? He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, but his grace is greater. For whom? The humble. Huh. He gives greater grace to the humble. See, I want us to understand that the solution to our mess is the greater grace of God, understanding that greater grace is reserved, applied to, available to the humble. Can I be clear? The proud adulterer has no solution. Because the solution is the greater grace of God, which is reserved for the, the humble. So if you're tracking with me personally, then you go, you raised your hand with me. I need greater grace. But that's only available to the humble. Then, Lord, what's the pathway to humility? What's the pathway to restoring the mess? What's the pathway to cleaning up this wreckage? It's there for the humble. What's the pathway? Verse 7, he takes us the beginning down the pathway. How's verse 7 begin? Humility begins with submit therefore to God. So not, not hard to understand. I've committed adultery with my God. It's hostility towards him. It's hatred towards him. It, it, it never flies. I don't love him and love the world both. Not true. So first... I humble myself before the Lord. I submit myself to God. And that's not a, 
That's not a difficult thing to understand. It's simply this. It's I place myself back under. There's a reason, maybe you never realized, but there's a reason when I did my hands of that we were enemies of God, separated from God, and become one with God. It's this is us, this is the Lord. When we come to God, we place ourselves under Him, we submit ourselves to Him. And when we commit adultery, what are we doing? We're, we're pulling ourselves out. We're still married to Him because the, the Spirit of God in us is our seal, our guarantee. So we have not severed the relationship, but we have broken the fellowship because we have taken ourselves out from under God. And he's going, the first step to humility, to you and I experiencing greater grace to deal with the wrecks we make relationally is to, we gotta go back to where we started, under the Lord. Does make sense? Submit myself to God. Then resist the devil. This is the verse, rest of verse seven. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, I want to take a moment here and recognize that most of us are, are inclined to go, well, I just need to not follow the devil. No, I need to resist him. In other words, to be aggressive against him so that he will flee. If I just don't follow, he'll just keep temp, 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 accuse, 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 lure, 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 entice, 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 entice. You gotta be aggressive against. I think the way I want you to write it down is my pathway to humility is I place myself under God and then the tempter who got me out from under, who said, pursue the lust, be envious, you have a right, you don't want to be dependent. Treat that tempter, not passively, but like an enemy, aggressively. If someone's an enemy, you're just not passive with it, you're aggressive against, so that you are not taken down, but they flee. So when uh, this past week, Two weeks, we have uh, my son's down from South Carolina. My son-in-law was out of school, so uh, we put our brain power and manpower together, and we've been trying to redo a dock destroyed by hurricanes. And we were in the water about eight hours uh, last weekend, and about less than 45 minutes after getting out of the water, my neighbor sends me a picture of an alligator within 20 feet of the ladder that we had just been working on. And we nicknamed him the inspector. The inspector showed up to check out our work. But it prompted a conversation that I've heard people talk about. If an alligator grabbed one of us out there, what do you do? You resist him like an enemy, right? But specifically, do you know what they say to do? If you live in Florida, you should know this. I don't know if this works or not, but they say, take your thumbs and, and gouge him in the eyes. Have any of you ever done that? <laughs> Seriously. I, I, it makes me really wonder, who 
made this up? Is there somebody somewhere laughing? Oh, yeah, poke him in the eyes. Yeah, just poke him in the eyes. Now, I've heard that to be true, but I've never met anybody who, because I've thought, wow, he's like grabbed me on the leg and done the death spin on me, and I'm thinking, where are your eyes? I need to see your eyes. Lift up your, look, can I see your eyes? You got to gouge him there. A lady Thursday night goes, oh, gross, gouge him in the eye. Gross, gross is having my leg chopped off. That's gross. <laughs> gouge him in the eye. And they say, then he will release and flee from you. So what's the equivalent spiritually of gouging the devil in the eyes? What is it? You're like, I don't know. Yeah, you should know. When the devil went after Jesus, how did he gouge him in the eyes? Yes, maybe you didn't know this. If you want to read this this week, look at the temptation of Jesus. And every time the devil, he did not just, Jesus did not just go, no, I'm not going to do that. He gouged him in the eye. He resisted and ultimately the devil, it says, he left him. Why? Because the, the equivalent is you speak truth. Because he's a liar. And the way you resist aggressively, like an enemy, is you simply proclaim liar and then declare what's truth. You're hungry. You've been fasting 40 days, the devil said. Just turn the rocks into bread and and Jesus simply said liar man doesn't have to live by bread alone but by every word liar if you've ever wondered what why should I ever read my bible why would I ever memorize scripture and I don't buy that you're too old to memorize stuff might be a little harder But the reason you memorize scripture is because you have an enemy who wants to do a lot more than simply take your leg off. And I'm really serious. You have an enemy. We have an enemy as believers who wants to ruin your life. Ruin it. He wants to make a, of your life and your family and of your relationships what hurricanes do to coastal towns. So he wants to wreck your life. And we need to be aggressive in resisting temptation with the truth of Scripture. And if you have zero ammunition, if you have like no thumbs, if you have zero ammunition in the moment of attack and the ammunition is Scriptures, you're going to get wrecked. So simple, practical advice. Just know where you're tempted. And you know. And ask, what does the scripture speak truth in that area? And that's where you start scripture memory. Just don't start in like Matthew 1. Pick something that will give you ammunition when your enemy is trying to take you down. And then you'll have good reason to know it. And I'd offer to you, if you're like, ah, I'm not sure what scripture to begin with, 
I'd be happy to answer that for you. Just, and I'm not, I was going to say this. I thought you may think I was setting you up here. I was going to say, just send me your sin. And, I, and that's not a joke. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a, send me your area of where you often get taken down. Because it's not just random. You don't go duck hunting with a deer rifle. So pick some ammunition that will take the tempter down where you fail. And begin scripture memory to treat the tempter like your enemy. Next verse, draw near to God. Draw near, and he will draw near to you. Don't lose the context. We're making a wreck because we're adulteresses. But there's a greater grace available to the humble. What's that pathway? What was first? Put myself back under. Second, resist with scripture that I've hidden in my heart. Third, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Seek the Lord. Because... You can be under the Lord, but not experience intimacy with the Lord, right? In other words, placing yourself under his right position. But seeking the Lord, this next step, is relational intimacy. All of us have either experienced or, or been involved with people who are married, but that's all they are. Married. The relationship is there, but there's no intimacy. There's no nearness. There's no experiential oneness. And so with the Lord, I can't be near him when I'm out from under him. First step, under him. Second step, resist the one who keeps tempting me to come out from under. Third step, don't just be under, be close. Draw near. Cultivate relationship with the Lord. See, it's, it sounds a little vague, a little cliche but it's a legitimate question to go, how's your relationship with Jesus? Do you, are you near him? Not just under him, but near him. Like, like, you really enjoy hearing his voice. You want to be with him. Your reading of your Bible is not just a checking of a box, but it's, it's communion with him. That coming together with the people of God is joy. So, so blessed last night, my daughter-in-law is in town, my son from up in South Carolina, and she was just going, man, I love the church. I love being at church. I love the community at church. I love the people there. I love the worship. I love the opening of the scriptures. I just love being at church. The drawing near to the Lord. Now, some of you may be thinking, wow, uh, yeah, I, I know that'd be good, Doug. Just not sure how to draw near. All nearness comes from honesty. 
So start by just telling your honest heart to the Lord. I don't, doesn't seem like there's a, a nearness. I want to be near. Express your heart to him. Talk to him honestly. Listen to his voice. Be responsive to his voice. Jackie and I determined early on in our marriage, no matter what we had in the way of kids and activity going on, we would commit to a weekly date night together. Because we didn't want our kids to grow up, leave home, get married, and go, we're still married, but we don't have any nearness. So it takes time to cultivate a relationship with the Lord. It's not hard to figure out if you don't ever spend time with the Lord that you're not near the Lord. So you got to look at just practically the minutes of your day and when will I draw near to him? Why would I do that? Because if I'm not near the Lord... You know, if, I'm not, if I'm only under him and not near him, this is, you know this, what happens? <laughs> the enemy has so much more leverage in your life. It's hard to break a marriage that's close. But where it's there only by title, easy to seduce that person away. So draw near to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Don't just be in right position under cultivate intimacy. Rest of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Isn't that the reflection of the adulterer? Double-minded. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Look at the wreckage. And let your laughter, because we're all prone to find joy in our disobedience. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. See, the individual who is committing adultery in the midst of their adultery They're not having a horrible, 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 terrible time, are they? If they were, it wouldn't be appealing. It's afterwards. And then they see the wreckage and they look at what happened. Then, then they're like, oh, he's gone. What would be true physically, let that be true Spiritually. Not complicated. Watch. (laughs) See the wreckage. Put yourself back under. Resist. Draw near. And then do what? Confess your sin. Confess it to him. The nearness of God will bring a brokenness in my heart.
See, if I'm not near the Lord, I'll probably be pretty cold, casual, distant about my sin. But if I'll draw near to the Lord, I'll see it for what it really is. And it'll turn that laughter, that quote-unquote fun, that thrill into mourning. Confess your sin. Again, not to avoid the consequences, but to reply, respond to a near God. That's the pathway, and we know it because then here's how he ends this section in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And what will he do? Exalt you. What's, what's that mean? Make sure you capture this. That means he will raise you up out of that mire, out of that destruction, out of that wreckage of guilt and shame and brokenness. And he will do what not every spouse is willing to do who has been sinned against with adultery. He is willing to do this. Restore the home. Rebuild the wreckage. He'll exalt you. Why? But there is a greater grace. Man, if on this Father's Day you don't leave with an appreciation for the greater grace, not just the grace of God, but the greater grace of God, then my friends, you've missed this passage. And I don't want you to miss it. Because all of us, whether we want to say it, want to admit it, all of us who have been married to Christ have committed adultery. But there is greater grace. For who? The humble. How do I know? I know because the scripture says it, and I know because I watch it happen in the scriptures. I want to lead us through together Psalm 51. So turn with me in your Old Testament. Well, actually, don't go there. I'm going to put it up here. Because I want to lead us through a response. You can actually close your Bible right now. For context, and after we work through Psalm 51, the band will lead us in gratitude for greater grace. But Psalm 51 is the confession of a real physical adulterer. It's the confession of David, a man, the scripture says, who was after God's own heart. So he was in relationship with God. Actually, uniquely so in the Old Testament, we know from this passage that the Holy Spirit was in David. So he was married to God. The Spirit of God dwelt within him. And one day, an alligator... The devil came and got him. He was on his rooftop looking out over the kingdom when he should have been off to war. But he didn't go to war, he stayed home. 
And one night, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And lust took off. And he went and he sent, as the king, he abused his power. He sent for a woman to be brought to him. And he committed adultery with her. And then when he realized what he had done, he tried to cover it up and had her husband killed in battle, murdered. And a man graciously named Nathan came to him and told him a story and helped him realize he was a guilty man. And so he pens Psalm 51, the confession of an adulterer like you and I. So let's follow his path. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. So bow with me. And as we begin, would you thank God for greater grace? Thank him for loving kindness and for compassion. Thank him for being a faithful spouse in spite of your unfaithfulness. And then take your first step. Submit yourself to the Lord. In other words, declare to him, Lord, I need greater grace. I need forgiveness. I've made a mess. Then David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Would you very specifically, you know your sin, he knows your sin. Confess your sin specifically, not generally, but how have you specifically sinned against your God? And then he asked, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Would you ask the Lord not only to forgive you 
of your specific action? Would you ask the Lord to grow your heart, restore to your heart joy and love? Express to him a desire to draw near. To hear his voice. To long for his word. To enjoy his presence. And then one, as one who experiences God's greater grace, he finishes 14 and 15, and I want to invite you to, to stand with me now as part of your prayer. And let's, I'm going to have us read this together. Don't get lost with this word, blood guiltiness. He's simply saying, deliver me from the wrath I deserve for murder. Let's read this together. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. This is amazing grace This 
I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness and deeds never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I'm grateful, you guys, for the greater grace in my life. And I hope you are too. As we go, let's have confession be a part of our, our daily life, our, the way that we converse with God and we agree with him. Uh, we need it, and he's gracious. He's faithful to forgive us, his scriptures say. If we can pray for you in any way, we would love to do that. We have men and women uh, who are there between the auditoriums that would love to pray with you if you would like prayer. And I hope you have a, a great, blessed day. Happy Father's Day to your dads. See you next time.